Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Today's topic is going to be a pretty controversial topic. So hang in there with me. Uh, have a little bit of grace from the beginning that I, uh, I'm going to do the best that I can to be concise uh, and to the point, uh, but understand that this controversial topic is uh, one that may may cause you a little discomfort. Um, my hope is that the discomfort would encourage you to uh, listen and do research of your own, uh, explore different aspects of it so that uh, we can we can get better and do it together. The topic is uh, critical race theory, and I'm coming at it from a therapeutic perspective. So I was, I've been trying to keep up with, you know, the critical race theory conversation in culture because it's such a polarizing uh, discussion. And I came across this, uh, this Brown University 2017 syllabus. Uh, by somebody, I, I don't know who she is, um, Adrian uh, Keen, Adrian Keen. And in there, she very concisely says, CRT posits that racism is endemic to society. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, also, if you trace it back further, you know, it comes out of Harvard and it was originally a, a legal uh, discussion. It was designed to, to do discovery in legal cases originally. So with that in mind, um, I, I, I really want to highlight this comment that CRT posits that racism is endemic to society. Uh, on that syllabus, she also says this, and I find this very intriguing, uh, a quote by James Baldwin that says, if I love you, I have to make you get conscious of the things you don't see. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. And I think that these two statements are uh, where critical race theory has created a lot of um, turmoil and challenge within our culture. Um, just so you know, I'll go ahead and I'll post the, the website for uh, the, uh, the syllabus that I'm talking about uh, so that you, if you want to, uh, you can participate actively. Uh, you can go and check it out and see that, you know, the, the outline for an actual critical race theory course at Brown University in 2017. All right. Let's... Let's go with the make you conscious of the things you don't see. What I like about that statement is that there are blind spots. I've done podcasts on blind spots in the past. Absolutely, there are blind spots. When we encounter blind spots, we do need assistance to see them. However, to phrase it, I have to make you conscious. It implies force. And force is, is different 
than working with somebody to help them have insight. So hear the difference. Make you conscious, help you gain insight. It's not my role to make you anything. All right, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I wanted to outline that because that's a super interesting quote and it's literally at the very top of the syllabus and I think it's an indication of why CRT has caused so much friction because it's, it's, it's being used to force things. And, and, you know, it's supposed to be talking about uh, you know, racism and ultimately in, in some ways, you know, the racism was about slavery and owning other people and stuff like that. And the problem with making you conscious is it's, it's just a different form of that kind of slavery. It's that idea that it's my place to make you do anything. Now, obviously there are some, but not many exceptions. I've covered them in other podcasts if you are a harm to yourself or to others, then there may be a need to interfere and possibly make you do something. But outside of that, there's very, very little to nothing that we should be making one another do. Um, all right. The idea of blind spots, I think that's great. Uh, I do wonder what she means by make. Uh, because to pick that quote, like she could have picked a bazillion quotes, but she did this quote. The other thing that drew me uh, uh, to curiosity was Brown is a Baptist university historically. At what point do the Baptists force their teachings? Forcing teachings as a Baptist university. It seems interesting to me. I, I didn't dig into you know all of their history. I just find it interesting. Okay, now I'm going to turn to focus. Thanks for listening. A little bit of my rant, but let's let's turn the focus. I want to highlight what is endemic, because this is a core premise behind uh, CRT. It's that it's endemic. Endemic. What does that mean? It means of a disease or condition regularly found among a particular people or in a certain area. It's essentially saying it's a disease or a dysfunction that's found in an area. Well, it is saying, when we say an endemic to society, it's saying it's a disease found Everywhere. Everywhere there are people, it exists and it's a disease or a condition. The therapy twist. You guys know this. If you've been listening, you know, and every time I want to come at it from a therapeutic perspective. Number one is the assumption of brokenness. Look, in the medical world, the medical model suggests uh, assumptions of brokenness. A lot of times it's assuming that you're only there because of an underlying something is wrong. It assumes brokenness. The mental health model 
does not function the same way. There has been a friction between medical and mental health for this very reason. The friction spot is mental health does not assume a disease model. Mental health assumes very little. In the mental health, you are not a dysfunction. You are you. You're a human being that is complex, that has so many variables. We've got to figure out which variables might need some attention and then give them attention. But you are not some disease. So in the mental health world, if you had cancer, you are not cancer. You are a person who experiences cancer. In the medical world, they look at you and the model suggests they look at you first as cancer and then as a patient. You are a cancer patient. That means their whole focus is on the disease. Now, there's a benefit to that when you're in like critical care, right? To focus on you, the person, may actually interfere with the treatment of the problem. So possibly born out of necessity, but inherently the mental health world doesn't function that way. We separate you from the challenge. If you have bipolar, you are not bipolar. You experience bipolar. Now, is that a medical issue? Yes. Is that a mental health issue? Yes. But are you a broken person and a broken spirit and a broken thinker and a broken feeler because you have bipolar? No. What you are is a person who has to overcome the challenges that come with the symptoms of bipolar. That's the way we separate it out. So the assumption of brokenness in the mental health world is not the same as you get from the medical world, and it is not the same as you get from CRT. It's the idea that you are broken because you are part of society, endemic to society. The second assumption is of the role. It is not, I said this earlier, it is not my place to control you, nor is it your place to control me. If you want to remain broken, go ahead. If you don't believe you're broken, okay then. Now, that doesn't mean that everything goes. It doesn't mean that at all. When I'm, a, when I'm working with a client, I'm not assuming they are broken. I'm assuming that there are environmental factors, there are personal attributes, and we've got to figure out which buttons to push so that the person in front of me has a chance at feeling, thinking, and responding in an environment in a way that is reasonable, healthy, ethical, legal, and so on. But the assumption that's being made that it is an endemic, it's a, that racism is endemic to society is saying we're all broken and we're going to start from that premise. And that is not 
from a mental health perspective, not a premise that we would want to start from. It's not that we are all broken. It's there is a brokenness. Separate that from the people and say, how do we manage or work with or potentially if this is brokenness, let's heal this, this brokenness for the people. Okay. So it separates them out in an article. Um, I found an article that, uh, it's called criteria procedures and future prospects of involuntary treatment in psychiatry. Uh, and it's a, it takes a world view. Um, the, this is, I'm bringing this up because when I was just talking about controlling somebody to involuntarily hospitalize a person, I want you to know what the criteria are. It's, it is, it takes a lot, like a lot to have somebody involuntarily committed. It says, and this is, this is directly from that article that I just, I I gave you the title of the criteria for involuntary hospitalization are as follows. Patients must exhibit dangerous behavior toward themselves or others. That's one piece of criteria. They must be helpless and unable to provide for their basic daily needs. Another criteria and, and not, or, and there is a danger of essential harm to their mental health. If they do not receive mental care, three criteria. And when we break those apart, when we look at those three different pieces, you can see how challenging it is to have somebody involuntarily committed. It's extremely hard. You have to show evidence. So how do we know that that's what's actually being followed? So most people have adopted a model like this. Once a person is involuntarily committed, within 48 hours, they reassess their decision to find out if the decision at the beginning was actually justified. And if, the, if it's not justified, then the patient has the right to leave. It's that simple. So they do a review within 48 hours to assess, was it a justifiable commitment? <clears throat> then, if it's considered justified, the documentation that they have created would be sent to a court for review. The court has five days. So in theory, you're talking about seven days you could be committed involuntarily by mistake. That's what it, that's what it does. And it's designed that way. It's designed to be fast because if anybody is involuntarily committed, it goes against autonomy, which I know if you've listened, you've heard me talk about autonomy. That is a person's right to choose their own path. If they are not dangerous to themselves, they are not dangerous to anybody else. If they can meet their basic daily needs and there is no essential harm, no danger of essential harm, then they can't be committed. They cannot be committed. We cannot take away their autonomy. Well, CRT doesn't buy that. 
So from a therapeutic perspective, that's a problem. It's something we have to reconcile. We have to figure it out. The third point. Now, this was interesting because in the syllabus that I, I, I was referencing, um, they do talk about the need for open discussion. So if the original design for uh, CRT was, is or was at one point to create an open discussion, uh, then that's awesome. I, I love that because from a mental health perspective, that's fantastic. We want open and honest and healthy communication and discussion. Relationships require communication. At the foundation, we have to communicate to have relationships. And from a mental health perspective, relationships heal people. So we need relationships. It's not a want, it's a need. Without love, we begin to wither and die. Communication is essential to communicating love. How do we communicate love if we don't communicate? Now there's verbal and nonverbal. There's all kinds of ways to communicate. But essentially, the communication, whether verbal or nonverbal, falls into this kind of a model. You have at least one sender and one receiver. So it has to be a minimum two people. If I did a podcast and I sent it out into the world and nobody ever listened to it, it's not communication. It's, it's just me creating noise and nobody listening. So it has to, re it requires a sender and a receiver and excuse me, um, animals can count because animals can communicate. Those of you who are dog, dog owners or cat lovers, you know what I mean? So if we have a sender and a receiver, the next required component is a message. We have to have a message. I send out A and you receive A and you, you say, hey, I got your A. Great. I sent an A, you got an A. You told me you got an A, so I know you got it. Communication was successful. So at the basic level, this, this is all stuff I learned when I was in the Marine Corps, 17 years old. Uh, basics of communication. It's not very difficult. However, it becomes very difficult when we start looking at verbal and nonverbal and we start looking at different people frame communication differently. Some people frame sarcasm as funny. Some people frame sarcasm as painful. So if I use sarcasm in one environment, I'm going to get a ton of laughs. And if I use it in a different environment, I'm going to get a lot of people really ticked off at me. There's also the distraction of noise. There's also uh, anytime there's a communication error, it is on both the sender and the receiver. It is both of their faults. So getting into a blaming match is ridiculous. It's a waste of time. It's pointless. What we want to do in a situation where there's a miscommunication is assume that I sent it wrong and that means you got it wrong. If I do that, then when I find out that you received it wrong, it was still partly my responsibility because I didn't communicate it effectively, right? And then there's all this noise that comes in between. If I'm trying to communicate to one person, but there's 10 people talking, communication gets really hard to understand, even though we're five feet away. Because there's just too much noise and I can't pull your piece out 
without the distraction of all this other stuff. So at the basic level, communication is designed to be pretty simple, but it turns out to be very complex. And to be open to the discussion is important because it's relational. In that same syllabus that I referenced earlier, it talked about some learning outcomes that the discussion was supposed to be, um, it's, it's, here's the quote, the ability to easily and openly discuss issues of race, racism, and settler colonialism. In theory, that's great. In practical application, it's not doing those things now. Now, that's not to say that it didn't work in that class. I don't know. I wasn't part of that class. Maybe in that class, the instructor framed it in such a way that it, it encouraged good, healthy communication. Um, when I looked over the reading list, I had lots of questions as to whether it was going to be good, healthy communication. But I'll let you go ahead and do your research. If you want to take a look at that syllabus, take a look at that reading list, you're probably going to know what I mean. Part of any good practice of theory requires reassessment. The rule of thumb goes like this. Is every issue, every issue starts and ends with evaluation. So it's a four-part process. It's really not that complicated because good theory does require this kind of reassessment model. Gather information, process information, make a decision, reassess the information. You notice that gather and reassess it's the same exact process. Gathering is the same process as reassessing. Reassessing is to take a look, gather the data and information, look at the, the, the stories that come out of it and say, is it working the way that it's designed? Well, the original design of CRT was for legal discovery. When they did it at Harvard, that was the design. If it's designed for legal discovery, is it being used for that now? Ooh. So simple answer, no, it's not. Well, how did it get to where it is, where it's, it's being discussed in a social construct and assumed to be accurate and right? When it was originally designed for discovery, it's a good question. It's somebody should reassess it and answer that question. If we reassess the uh, effectiveness of open discussion. Let's say the, the open discussion is what it was all supposed to be about. Is it actually opening discussion now? Or is it slamming doors closed that shouldn't be? That's something we got to figure out. All right, next point. If I'm in the role of authority, which can be articulated, like the quote that I, I, I gave you right off of that syllabus, uh, what was it? It was, I have to make you conscious of things you don't see. If I'm in the role of authority and my design is to make you see, one, we're not being relational, and the other is it shuts discussion down. When we try to force it's not true relationship. People know this. Inherently, by design, we pick up on those subtleties. And we know when somebody is trying to force us to do something versus invite us to do something. When we are invited, we are more likely to consider the possibility. When we're being forced, we are most likely to put up a, hold on, time out. 
I need to figure out if this is something like we call that time out. We start with a wall and then we have to overcome that. So is it collaborative? If it's not collaborative, it's not creating an openness in the discussion because collaboration is a requirement for open discussion. We have to collaborate. So quick disclaimer, uh, the, this course may have been an excellent course. I know I said that a minute ago, but it really might've been a great course. And I, I just don't know, but the way it's translating into the culture is definitely challenging. Um, and not necessarily in a healthy way. I, I would actually propose that probably not in a healthy way. I'm left with these questions. And then, uh, so what, what I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to, I'm going to leave you the questions that I have. And then I'm going to tell you what my opinions are. Because so far, I'm just outlining the issue. The questions I still have is, are we assuming brokenness? And if we are, is that really the right path to take? That's a question we have to answer. Are we taking, the second question, are we taking on responsibility that does not belong to us? In other words, am I taking on the role of the expert in the mental health world, I'm not the expert of my client's world. They are. They are the expert of their world. I am a bystander. I am somebody that from a different point of view might be able to tell them something that they're not seeing, maybe, if they're willing to listen. But I am not the expert in their world. And CRT for sure assumes an expert view. That if you, if you are well-versed in CRT, you are an expert. I don't think so. It actually was never designed for that model originally. It was designed to create inquiry, questions, not assume answers. The third piece of information is that openness of discussion piece. Are we creating the right discussion points and getting the right people to the table? Anything that alienates an entire group of people from the discussion and on purpose is problematic because it, it's, it's an elitist concept, right? If, if I'm like, oh, well, these people can't come to the table because uh, A, B, C, D. Oh, I'm assuming that I know best. So who's at the table and are we alienating? Are we, is it an exclusive group or an inclusive group? When we're talking about racism, it really darn well better be an inclusive group. But CRT is creating an exclusivity to an, what should be an inclusive group. A uh, piece that I want to highlight real quick is my opinion. I really want to just do this so that you guys know where I'm coming from. That way, if there's any questions, you know, you, you have this information. First of all, I want to start with, I'm not assuming I know all of the answers. I have more questions right now than I do have answers. I do have a few answers because I've done some diligence. But in my opinion, in my opinion, CRT may have been uh, designed to create a framework for discussion that wasn't being had at one point and to challenge viewpoints. And so if that was the original design, it has failed its own mission. It is, it is not creating 
the healthiest communication and discussion. It's creating, it's creating these allies on sides and it's creating a battle. And so inherently, if it was created for discussion, it's failing. And that's a problem. And we probably should consider what that means about CRT. It's not being done effectively or it's an ineffective theory. It is no longer a healthy communicating point. It has become poison. It, it's like, um, you know, if you take a bunch of grapes and you put them in a, a, a big bottle and you, you, you let them sit there, um, they're going to get disgusting. There are things you have to do and you can make it turn into wine. But this is like grapes that were put in a bottle and looked really good and it smelled really good. And then it just turned rotten. And that's a problem. And we need to take a look at it and create a fix or dismiss it. Some theories are better off dismissed. Okay. You know, it was like, what, 60 years ago, it was 70 years ago, not that long in all reality that we were electrically zapping people for therapy. Not a great model, especially since we kept turning it up and up and up and it caused major issues, including brain damage. Um, Harmful to people, not good. That's a theory that should be dismissed. Maybe there's a new theory that comes off of that. We can we can use bad stuff for good, but that one needs to go away, and it did. Thank goodness. CRT is based on a disease model of brokenness and goes against my perspective that change is possible if we do the work nearly every time. I work from the premise that the person sitting in front of me can make a change if they do the work, even if they're struggling with something really, really hard between therapy, uh, medication, uh, you know, the right kinds of support systems, that person can live a good, healthy, reasonable life. That's my assumption because there's very few people that would fall in any other category. So, what I would tell you is we probably ought to dump CRT and discuss what will allow us to, to come to the table with respect, get rid of the blaming and take responsibility for our own parts. We should not be bound by our parents. CRT assumes we are all racist because the system is racist because the people were racist. It's taking that past view, pulling it into the present and saying, we are still that. And that's not who we are anymore. So give you an example. If I had slavery in my background, which I most likely do, for those of you who know my heritage, my family came to the United States. Well, one side of my family came to the United States from Czechoslovakia. Now, Czechoslovakia, um, read the name. Slovakia. What does that mean? Slaves. The Czechoslovakia, we, we migrated from Italy. So we were probably some of the poorer people in Italy during the war, moved to Czechoslovakia, most likely were enslaved in Czechoslovakia. 
I, I have, we've done some of the research, but we, we haven't found the specifics. It looks like we might've been, but here's the reality. Does it really matter if my family was slaves? I don't have to be bound by that today. I don't. I also don't have to be bound by a family. If I found that my family owned other people as much as you can own a person, I don't have to be bound by that. Just because they did that doesn't mean I have to be that. I can say that was not good and that was not healthy. It, we do it all the time in therapy. We're breaking those, those family chains, right? We hand off dysfunction to our family. What do we got to do in therapy? We break those chains. Uh, we, we often see these transgenerational issues. That means they're passed on from generation to generation. And then one breaks it and all of a sudden it's gone. And we see three or four generations. They don't have that issue anymore. That is a possibility. From a therapeutic view, I think that the idea that we're all still broken because we were broken is, is a terrible, uh, terrible, terrible starting spot. Uh, we, sh we shouldn't start there. The, the past does not have to predict present or future behavior. It doesn't. It just doesn't. We don't have to go with what was in the past or what will be in the future. We're pretty close to independent. Now, we're shaped by our most recent past to a degree, but we can even cut that within one generation. There's a reason why, you know, within one, one generation, a person that was not a U.S. citizen can become the president of the United States. Look it up. It's happened. It's because we can change patterns within one generation. We don't have to be bound by what was. Okay. I went over a ton of information. I don't always go over my opinion, but hey, I thought it was helpful um, for the discussion. So please feel free to leave comments. Uh, go ahead and uh, send me an email or, you know, Post your feedback on whatever podcast you're listening on. Thank you so much for joining me and have a great day. 